0: Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. This is the after show for You're Only Young Twice, my interview with Tommy Johnigan. Tommy and I talked about how he was inspired to start his stand-up career by David Letterman and how he then went on to perform on Letterman seven times. Talk about what it was like making the transition from touring comedian to writing on the staff of Man with a Plan. You know, There's some talk about friends in this episode, for those of you who get excited about that stuff. Uh, there's also the very rare small note session about the pilot. Uh, we always tell writers that the great thing about Dead Pilot Society is that you get to have a table read without the stress and torture of the notes afterwards. But we did have a brief discussion about some alternates uh, for his uh, second act complication. I don't know. It was really fun. It was great talking to Tommy. He had some really uh, great and very honest perspectives on making it both as a stand-up comedian and as a television writer. Uh, So here's my conversation with Tommy Jonigan after a brief message. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Step right up. We're going to heal you. We are the healers, Ross and Carrie. Yes, yes. You there. You look like you're upset. Come up here. Yes, you are healed because you've listened to our podcast. Yes. Have you been having trouble with demons? Are you sleeping too much? Too little? Just right? We have the solution. It is to listen to Oh oh No, Ross and and Carrie. Carrie, a show where we examine unusual claims. We show up so you don't have to find us on maximumfun.org we won't actually heal you at what point did you start like trans you know start writing like how long you'd been a stand up for like how long when you started writing s- scripts
1: yeah so i started I started stand up at eighteen. Basically, i all I had always known that I wanted to be a comedian and stand for me. I got it just David Letterman was such an influence, and um, I've told the story, but but uh, it's I would stay up and watch Letterman, and then it got to a point where my mom and stepdad were like, "You you know, you have school. You can't stay up until uh, Letterman wraps every night at uh, like Central Time is." you know, midnight or something like 30. So they let me stay up to watch the monologue in the top 10 list. And I was, I just like the way that he was funny, the kind of like, there's this effortlessness and then the sarcasm. And then also like, if you didn't know, if you didn't think something was funny, you may not have even known he was trying to make you laugh. So it didn't seem like he was failing. It just seemed like <laughs> this guy's being goofy. And one day my stepdad just kind of in passing was like, Oh, Letterman's from Indiana. And he started as a stand-up comedian, and I, he had no idea of the impact that that would have on me. Because I, as a kid, I was like, "He's from India. I'm from Illinois, and that's close. So I'm, I'm one third of the way there. I just need to do stand-up now, and then once I do stand-up, I'll, I'll be able to be David Letterman." And, <laughs> and it just, it just made sense for years. So I started stand-up at 18, and started touring full-time at you know 19 or 20 i was on the road for 50 the first year i went full-time as a comedian i had booked 52 weeks i just i came in it so cold where like people were like who's your favorite comic i was i would just say letterman i didn't know the world of (laughs) stand-up i only knew that like this is what i want to do and i want to make a living at it so i just assumed 52 weeks a year that's just how much you got to work so i've booked 52 weeks on and the how road. Did,
0: like, how did you? All right, so well, first back. So, how did you start? Like, were you, was it open mics or how? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I lived in
1: a small town at the, in southern Illinois called Benton, Illinois, which is where my uh, my mom's side of the family still lives. It's, you know, two hours from St. Louis, it's two hours from a, a lot of things. And I was at the, you know, the gym in town, and there's this guy, his name's Dan Summers, And people call him Curly because he's covered head to toe in Three Stooges tattoos. (laughs) And um, we were friends. He he was in his 30s probably and I was 18 years old, which is an interesting relationship. And he just one day goes, I'm doing an open mic in Fairview Heights, which is outside of St. Louis. He goes, do you want to come? So I went the first time I saw stand-up comedy live or on TV basically at all. I was at an open mic. And then the second time I went, I did the open mic and then just kind of it became like singularly focused on that I went to as many open mics as I could writing and and figuring out you know how to do it how to make it as a like make it your job so I was in college and then one day we were in class and this um professor teacher person was like here's all the things you can do with this I was going for communications and yada yada and she's like here's all the things you can do with this degree. And I saw all the other kids writing stuff down. And I was like, I think I'm the only person in here who knows what they want to do. And it's just not, it doesn't, I don't need this for it. So I dropped out of college that day and then called my parents, called my stepdad moved to Chicago. And that's when I started doing like two, three shows a night, every single night until I built up enough time to be an opening act where you, you, you just need 30 minutes of material. You have to hustle, like send out tapes call clubs, lie to bookers, and be like, I'm in town, can I come and do a guest set to get booked? So I did that, for like, 19 years old, it kind of just hit in the pavement, and st- the calendar started to fill up. And that's, you know, I, I started 18, so I was full-time, like, within two years of starting for the first time, I was, like, full-time as an opening act, which is, I was not dying. I wasn't making, I filed my taxes, and I think, like, after everything that happened in and then the guy basically was like "You looks I think the number was $495 like I was <laughs> I had I there was like my income after everything was less than 500 bucks but I had paid my rent and I was a comedian and I had like a 52 weeks and then a club canceled I remember it was like in the middle of May and a club canceled so I only had 51 weeks on the road and I was like that's <laughs> it I'm never gonna make it. You can't. I'm gonna. They're all gonna. I'm gonna. Ba- I'm gonna bomb. But uh, I toured for like two years as the like opening feature act. Then I started headlining clubs and colleges and like TV appearances. Like Letterman, I did Letterman seven times and some Comedy Central stuff.
0: What was that like? That first time you did Letterman?
1: Oh, it was wild. Um, the thing, like the amount of nerves that. It's the most nervous I've ever been in my life. I wrote kind of the bullet points of my set on a note card because it's just like a common fear that you're like, I'm going to forget everything. So I was there and I was like, I'm going to forget everything, but I got this note card. Then I started to go to the next thing of like, well, if I'm not going to forget everything, I think I'm just going to pass out. or I think I am I may <laughs> like my body may fail. And then there was just a moment where a guy comes up to me and he's just like, I'm going to pull the curtain and you're going to want, and he's like your spot. And I was like, this is just a month. Everyone else here is just experiencing Monday. Like they're, they were dreading this day yesterday. (laughs) They got here and they can't wait for it to be over. And it's the biggest day of my life. So I was like, I just got to think of it like it's Monday. Like it's a set. And like the only thing that calmed me down before I went out. And then I went out and Letterman enjoyed it. The booker came over. He goes, um, I th- he goes, I think it was a home run, but it wasn't a grand slam. And I go, I can't help it if nobody else is on base. And then the second time I did it, to me, that that was the one where, like, I heard Letterman laugh and hit his desk. He's not on camera. So it's just, like, it's just me. So he's not – and Letterman's not the guy that's going to ham it up for anybody. But I heard that laugh and him hitting the table. And that was, like – I. I afterwards, I was, like, I don't even know if I need to continue – doing this. I feel like I've I've done the thing I want. And then the booker came over and he goes, you're a regular now. So I just did it every year until Letterman retired. Wow. And then, you know, with that, the dream obviously was like Raymond, where Letterman says let's do something. Um, it didn't happen that way. Just, I mean, maybe Letterman didn't want to, but the I did the Montreal Comedy Festival and there were um, execs from you know, Universal Television and NBC there. And they were like, Would, have you ever considered doing a sitcom? And at, even at the moment, like a lot of comics in those moments, you have the decision of like, you can just have some, you know, like someone like you, I'm sure you've done a dozen of these, where they're like, here's a comic, write something. And they just don't have any input other than a meeting here and there. I was very animated at the beginning of like, I'm going to, I want to co-write it. And it wasn't only, it was like, I want to like be in a room with someone like you and learn and also be very, um, just be a big part of like making sure this is in my voice and kind of my story and tone. And, and it's not that like, Oh, no one's going to write it as good as me. it's I get that I may be wa- making this worse by being involved this way, <laughs> but I want to, and you guys called me. So I did that and developed it. Um, NBC and it didn't go. I remember I was on the road and uh, my parents had come to see me. I was in St. Louis at this club, I was headlining, and I was uh, in the hotel getting ready for the show. And I called the guy I was developing it with, and I was like, "Looks like we made it to the weekend." It was because Friday after a business. I was like, "Hey man, so we're still alive?" And he goes, "Nobody called you?" And then my like whole heart, I was like, "Oh no." And uh, they had passed on it, but just because he was the guy on an overall, they just made him tell me, which I thought was a bummer. So uh, I did a couple of those and then developed a thing. I did a couple where it's like written for me to star in. And then uh, Justin Pac- Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher, who I became friends with, we met, did something with Bill Lawrence at Warner Brothers and got the pilot shot, and it was just like a multicam about my life. I was, you know, it was it was like my version of Everybody Loves Raymond, where my parents are divorced, and my sisters uh, got pregnant at eighteen or whatever. So we shot it, and and
0: this is sorry. So this is the this
1: is the second attempt. This is um, or the it's the uh, I think it's the second. It's the third. So it's the third one, just because that NBC one got set up, it passed on, and then uh, you know at the end of pilots where these other networks that do comedy just get this all the scripts that were dead. Right. Someone just found ours in that pile of stuff and bought it again. So I did another. Okay, so it's like the second, thing.
0: it second iteration of the second. Yeah. Pile. So okay. then
1: the third one was this one with Justin and, and Patrick and, and Bill Lawrence and we did it. There's, you know, kind of I'd never acted before. When they picked it up, I called I called Justin Patrick and I was like, has anyone asked you if I can act? And they go, Nobody's called us. Has anyone called you? And I go, no. And then I remember they go, can't can you? And I go, I don't know. I mean, I've I've never even done a play. It's wild to me that they've committed this much money and it hasn't even come up so we do that there's some hiccups in the road i wasn't uh out the gate you know i think there's some stories where someone's like and then he was a natural and and i wasn't i just wasn't (laughs) i could find i had to like sit uh for i couldn't move on jokes if that makes like yeah sure you know you're like hey this, this joke's on the fly as you're crossing to the fruit I was like no 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna deliver this joke and I'm gonna eat a blueberry and then when you cut I'm gonna walk <laughs> I'm gonna walk over there and then I'll be there but who was directing it. uh Scott Foster okay. I actually may have just named an NBA referee. I feel bad that I, <laughs> he's, I feel bad. He's a great dude. He's he's like a Tony Award-winning director. And I'm literally, I think Scott Foster is just the dirtiest ref in the NBA right now. So that's <laughs> not who did it. Uh <laughs> um, but after after that experience, I was just like, I loved the writing part so much more than the being in it part. And you know, I think it may be rare as a If I was like, if you have to make a choice because at the time you kind of, you know, as a comic, you do, like you can, I realized I was like, you, I can keep like trying to get my own show, but I, it's very realistic that they're all going to say no at some point. Like I'm not the type of person that's just going to get mm-hmm. a million shots where they're like, man, it's we really believe in this guy. Uh, so I, the next one after that, I just told my reps I had an idea and I was like, I want to take this out and I don't want to be attached to star. I want to attach EPs to supervise it and run it. If it gets picked up, but I want to be like the sole writer on it. So I made like a very conscious effort to, and I was still touring at the time I wrote, I sold that thing. And I remember I wrote it in like, you know, I, I did the last pass in a hotel in Cincinnati while I was mm. at the go bananas comedy club, like just, um, touring 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 and then off of that the people who were supervising it were uh, the Philgos who had run shows the seventy show and yada yada they got the show picked up with Matt LeBlanc and Jackie called and she said I know that but you're touring and I was about to shoot uh, an hour special like my touring was uh, doing great and um she was I don't know if you would ever do it but we're going to offer you a job it wasn't even like Do you want, it was just like, we're going to make you make a decision. There's going to be an offer Mm -hmm. come in. So it, I had, you know, a three-year-old and a daughter that was a few months old and that opportunity came at the moment that it just became very difficult for me to leave my kids for that amount of time, no matter like how good the shows were or the specials. Cause I was talking to my wife and I was like, uh, you know, what if I shoot the special best case scenario it's wildly successful. That just means next year I'm going to be on the road more because you have to tour off that. And right. it's just like touring begets touring. So I just wanted to be home with my kids. And I'm like, and there's guys that, and, and women that are great parents that tour, but everybody comes from different backgrounds. It just, it just didn't hit me the right way.
0: So that was man with a plan. Yeah. And, and so that's your, you know, so now you're on staff as what, it, what they hired you as like, producer producer level because wow.
1: i've been i i mean i i get that like i haven't been in a room like this but when i got hired i had been you know making a living at comedy for like 16 years and i've right. just told and i it wasn't like uh, my way or the high it was just like i'm 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 at a point where i i'm not interested in starting all over i would i would definitely come in and if you think that i would add value at this level then that would that would be you know i'll try to like punch above my weight but like i believe that i'm you know at this point you know i talked to justin and, and patrick about it as if you know kind of the honest thing of um i think they're great and we were good friends at the time and they just didn't have a show going where they could give me that opportunity so i was like hey i got this just like be straight up honest you guys know me. We had developed two things together at that point, and um, I was just like, "What would you? What would you bring me in?" And feel like, "Hey, I'm get- We're getting a good value, and he's right. not expected to do more than what his level is." And they said producer and kind of told me where to, um, kind of what to expect. Because I was leaving this touring business, where I was, you know, I wasn't kind of walking away from a an entry level nine to five. I was living like a pretty, a pretty good career of income behind. So I was like, I gotta make it make sense. So I started at producer level, and then just Matt LeBlanc, the Phil goes, the staff. This it was like the funniest people in the room, and and that show went on for four years, and I was able to kind of get those title bumps and whatnot. And you stayed the whole run, yeah. And you know, we had like dinner three times the last year. So I I think in the last couple of seasons, like we were leaving at four and five, it was, it was, it was a great time. And, uh, you know, when you're in a room with people, sometimes it doesn't you. Sometimes you're in a room and there's the, the vibe's just off. Like that one was, it was very fun. And, um, Matt LeBlanc was cool. I always said with him, like the guys had so much money, but he's still, I don't know that I ever got there before him. he would always be there early, and I think he said he ran, like, lines with the person at his house at, like, 6 a.m. And then would come, and just, like – and he was nice. He was nice to everybody. So it was just top to bottom a great experience. Yeah, he's
0: he's so great and just, you know, was always sort of humble and never, you know, just always worked hard, always felt appreciative. It's just, you know, people are always, like, asking, like, who was, like – who was a pain in the ass on friends and who yeah. was a, you know whatever? I'm not gonna like, you know, I love all of them and they're all good, but it's just like Matt was just so always game and just like um I don't know, just felt like he would always try, whatever it is, even if he was just like had issues with the thing that we had written, he yeah. wasn't gonna like, you know, tank it or like complain beforehand. He's just like he would just do it to the best of his ability. And then maybe
1: afterwards say like,
0: I don't, you know, but no, he the same always way.
1: give it a shot, you know? And he was an EP yeah. on ours. And like that, the, you know, going in, you're like, what kind of, what kind of um, how will this person throw that weight around? Cause they could just blow up episodes. They could do this, they could do that. But he did the exact same thing. It would be like, I don't know about this. And then he would go to the run through and he just killed it. Like, cause yeah. I, the thing that blew me away was like every joke, that you want, that you had, were like this joke will work. He almost bats a thousand with jokes you think will work, and then he just has this other thing where you're just getting these laughs that are nowhere in a script. That it's just like it feels like cheating, and it's like maybe the story wouldn't work with anybody else, but he does it. And then you would have those, you know, like, hey, what? Are, I don't know if this works, and you're like, I don't know, man. You just you made it work, but <laughs> yeah. he was he was so rarely kind of poking at stuff that whatever he said, like he didn't like, or he wanted to change, we would do it. But exactly what you're saying, like he would at a run through, he'd never tanked anything saved. You know, that the ability to get a big laugh off of one word, which is just like, we need this to get to this line. Like, this is just, (laughs) you say a word just to get to this (laughs) next line to the story. And I'm like, how's this guy just getting a laugh on everything?
0: I know. I mean, I was like, I was just, I hardly ever watch friends, but I was like in a hotel room and just looking for this. It. like, it's always on and whatever. I was just watching. And like, I just was watching him do a turn and I'm like, people should just actors who want to do comedy, like need to study the way Matt LeBlanc does a turn, you know, yeah, whatever for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about. Was, you know, just like a, a change in attitude midline. Um, and it's, he, he does it so well. It, it It's just like watching, and I'll always remember. There was like Sean Penn did an episode, um, did a guest spot, and I'm like, we're sitting there, and like (laughs) a lot of Sean Penn's stuff is kind of falling flat. I'm like, on this stage right now, yeah, Matt LeBlanc is uh, like a hundred times better actor than Sean Penn. Like, I know no one's going to say in like the scheme of things, like make the argument, Matt LeBlanc's a better actor than Sean Penn. But I'm like at doing this, no, like there's just no question. Yeah. I if mean.
1: you make it about multicams, it's, mm-hmm. it's not even close. Like Matt yeah. LeBlanc, is all, one of the best ever all time. I mean, you guys had, it's just a very lightning in the bottle situation. It seems over there with like, I, I think like a lot of people like rewatched friends, through COVID, and it's like, oh, and, you know, Matt's Matt LeBlanc's one of the best multi games and then having moments where I'm like, man, I have been, I have not given Ross Geller enough credit. We're like, Swimmer <laughs> yeah. is good. and it, I I don't know if it's because he just I I don't he didn't he didn't continue to go multi-cams for a while, or, or I I don't know personally why he did it, but like he just isn't doing it still. Where I was like, oh, damn, this guy. Yeah. And I think those and, and look, and Julie Matt's, Louis Dreyfus, you can't beat him.
0: Yeah. And Matt LeBlanc is so good because he just studied the rest of the cast. Like, you know, he studied Schwimmer and Matthew, and like, you know, he just. And Lisa, and all of them, he was just like, why? Because, you know, in the beginning, Matt was not quite as good as the rest of them. Um, But he learned learned so quickly because he really did, because it's what you're talking about. Like, he's a hard worker and like he was just a student and he just saw like, okay, you know, I see how they're doing this and how they're doing this turn and how they're like finding, you know, and and just how excitement and you know riding that line of being kind of big like you have to be kind of big in multi-cams without it getting stupid yeah. and like calibrating that so he could just like be exactly keyed in to the right thing or it's not over the top but it's big enough that it just rings a laugh it out has to be
1: a little bigger and i think you know not no names but like some of the multi but people like oh the multi-cams aren't as good but it's like because people are trying to be Sean Penn in a multicam, and <laughs> right. uh, then the the network's making you write these stories where they want, like they want Ross and Rachel to kiss in the pilot, and then break up in the fifth episode, and then be back together by thirteen. It's like these things that cannot exist in the writing, but then also the performances. It has to be bigger. It has to be a little more broad. Like I now I feel like I watch shows and single cams can be very broad at times, but then when you're on a multicam or or you're watching a multicam, you can tell someone has been like, don't do that's it's getting a little broad, but it's like that's kind of what it is. It's supposed to be there's supposed to be those moments. I've said in writer's are like where which I think we we're all victims of it where you oh well, that would be great. But then you go, I think that that we're gonna get this note where you pre-note mm-hmm. and ruin yeah. some where it, some when we're in a room and if it's something that everyone loves and uh, then some, per- some person goes like, do you think that, uh, do you think they would do that? Or do you think that's this? And I'm just like, do you think that Joey would put on all of Chandler's clothes? It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't know, but he did. And it's one of the best moments in television. Like it's, it's a quoted line for generations. So maybe these characters can sometimes be a little more broad and the stuff that surrounds it is what will keep it grounded.
0: Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is with that particular example, it is based on a real thing that a real person <laughs> did do. It's um, fantastic. <laughs> um, but so I mean, when you got into that man with a plan room, so you you know, you'd written multicams um with some people who, you know, with some good mentors, but you had yeah. like been on a in a room staff like day-to-day like did you feel like you were kind of um comfortable from the get-go because of just all the comedy experience you had like what was that learning curve like
1: I felt uh, and you know the the I would say I'm still friends with the showrunners and after that show they said incredibly nice things about having me on it and being grateful they got me a job from that But I every day I thought I was gonna get fired. And just it was like just the insecurity of it, of like, I had this thing that I did for 16 or so years that I was comfortable in like, you know, I'm I'm doing well at this and I'll I'll probably make a living at this next year. This was like, oh, they're gonna fire me, and then the touring has dried up and I'm not so I was freaking out every day, but the one thing I had was you know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to ask without being distracting, like ask questions. I'm going to observe in a way that I'm going to try to learn every single day to try to get better. But while I'm doing that, I'm just going to pitch jokes. Like I realized I was hired. I had a strength. So it's like I'm while I'm freaking out and feeling like I'm failing or trying to learn it can, you know, cause going in there, you know, it wasn't like I had my arms back, like, Hey guys, I'm a producer level person. (laughs) I know what I'm doing here. I like completely understood that I didn't know and I needed to learn, but just, just jokes. I felt like the jokes were, and that was a show that like the, the figures were like, they valued those jokes in the multicams. You have Matt LeBlanc, like we got to have those. So I think that just by pitching consistently and like, because of the experience with writing these, you know, pilots and stuff that like, I, I understood, you know, pitching, we need a line. You know, I think sometimes I've been in rooms with a lot of standups where it's like, they'll pitch the funniest joke, but it's like, well, now we're gonna have to do like, we're now we're over here. So we got to like, that joke's (laughs) hilarious, but we got to like write five lines to get us back here. (laughs) Where I was like, I felt like I could pitch jokes, like in characters voices and on story and in the moment, and was getting a lot of that stuff in, and um, I remember I called. It goes back to Justin and Patrick. This is not. I hate that they are so successful now that it's become like a name drop because they're just my friends that right. I asked a lot of questions to. But um, I I was freaking out one day and I was like, um, I don't even know. Like, what what does what does success look like? Because there's no at the end of the day where someone goes like, Hey, you did this, and you like you. We're not going to fire you because. Your your average is 300. And uh, I remember he's like, at your level, you know, you know, do you think you're getting like three, four jokes in, you get two jokes in a day? I was like, I I feel like I'm getting like one a page. And he's like, I think you're going to be fine. I think like, I think that's a (laughs) fine ratio. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's about as, yeah.
1: I looked at everything (laughs) as a failure. Like if it was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get one in this scene. I would be like, that's it. You can't. I'm just sitting here worthless for three pages. Well yeah, you've got a stand-up mentality where it's like
0: yeah, if if in your set you're like going for stretches of not getting a laugh like you are failing. Right. Okay? Yeah. Like you you have to have a like you you can't have jokes that die in your set, right? But it's just like you can have plenty of pitches in a room that die. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. Um <laughs>
1: You can't like at the improv just be like, well, okay, not that, but what of this? <laughs> like-
0: <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. And just, I do think what you're saying is like your ability, if you had the ability to like pitch in the ballpark, that's like, that's what you want as a showrunner. Like it doesn't have to even be the joke, but if you're like pitching and you're in the ballpark, you, yeah. you know, you're in the right area that maybe you can get the assist and, and you're not just pitching things that are just completely so far afield of, of the joke area you need to be in like a not k- perfect joke in the area can lead to the right joke, but yeah,
1: people the just stand-up know. background really helped. Cause I was, um, just, I think my style of stand up in the way, like you were saying, we're not going for time without laugh. Like I was very like punchy and, and, um, very like tight in the wording and stuff. So like I was able to translate that. You just—I'll couch this in like—I said I was going to get fired, I'm like failing. It's like in my mind, I'm failing, but it was pretty early on and seeming natural. That it was kind of like the—I would pitch it in in a way that it would go in the script where it wasn't, you know, where sometimes it's like the area and then we 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 find it. But like, I think just by being a stand-up and kind of understanding like that rhythm. And, uh, you know, working with kind of characters like, you know, with Matt LeBlanc's voice pinging around in your head, which I'm, you know, like you probably fall asleep to it, but uh, you, I could get it close where it, it kind of sped up the process. I even realized it at the time, like now, like after having done it for a while, it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a, you know, a strength that I understand why people kept me around while I was learning. Like, that's the weird part about it is always trying to, uh, you know, except the fact that I'm st- I'm learning and someone I'm getting paid. I'm making a living. My, I'm, my kids are having a a, a nice life <laughs> while I'm learning. Like right. when, when we like emailed, like, it was like the almost instant selfish thing about it was like having a conversation. I was like, I'm going to definitely take something away from that and, and use like, there's, I'm going to be better just from, Having a conversation with you. I was like, honestly, like, I'm, I will never be in the, in a room with someone that it's like, what is the, without trying to learn something, someone with experience like that, where like, I bet there's something I can get better at in some way.
0: Yeah, because I don't think any of us ever feel like, I got this down. Like, I, you know, I mean, especially when you're writing pilots because you just haven't written that pilot before. So you're not an expert at writing that pilot. There's there's this thing of being like a general expert at writing pilots because each pilot is its own thing. And there's always this, you know, I'm writing one right now. And it's just like, there's like a nervousness of like, I don't, I haven't written this one. I don't know how the characters sound yet. Like, I don't know what's going to. So when you were. It's a no, it's a single cam um but you know and I think story is the thing that like you know some people you know certainly a stand-up or someone who's like coming from improv can come in with like the ability already to like pitch a joke and you know get a laugh yeah but, like but like crafting stories and finding how to like turn you know, find the next beat and find the act break and find the unexpected, you know, second act complication, whatever. That, you just have to learn that by just doing it
1: a lot. Um, yeah, that's that's the fun where working, you know, you're in a room, there's 10 people in it and you get to hear what, if everyone's pitching, you kind of get to hear from, this is what a story is as a start. And then as we start, like, oh, that's how they would do that. And that's, and for me, like that, I've been like searching for that answer where you're just like, ah, I know how to break stories now. And I like, it's, <laughs> I'm not, I still don't have it. Like we're, I think with a multicam, there's some degree of, I look at it like the, sh- the episodes, you know, that, that you guys did and Raymond and, and Seinfeld where you're like, I, I'm getting to a place where I'm like, I think anything could be a story if you if you just do it, like, and honestly, it's like, if, if you go in and you go like you know, the Raymond episode where I I wouldn't love if there was audio or video of the room for the suitcase one, where it's like, we just, yeah. that's it's a whole a, episode. It's, it's great.
0: Yeah. I think that uh, I, th- I believe is Tucker Colley And it was just an argument he and his wife were having over. And it's just like, it is one of those things. I mean, it still happens with me and my wife, like to this day. Like the the suitcase has just like made it a little bit farther, (laughs) but (laughs) it hasn't made it all the way. And we're just like, yeah, it is. And I think it's kind of like the ability to identify those things because they're all, they're happening to all of us all the time, but we're kind of just not even seeing them. And it's, yeah. and, And then it's just having that room that, you know, I mean, it was absolutely the case. And friends were just whatever it was—the small, just the the thing you had to learn was like, okay, you know, my my smoke detector w- went off last night, and I could not get it to turn off, even though I took the battery out, and it was still beeping. And it was, you know, I'm just going to bring that into the room, this seemingly yeah. like mundane thing, and then we're going to see like where how we can just spin that into a story. Whereas a lot of people are just like, oh, that's just not that's nothing you know, these things that just feel like they're nothing like, no, they're there's something there. There's, if it's a human right. experience and it's specific, it's going to be something. This week's episode is brought to you by wild grain. Wild grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing. Required. You can now fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose whatever you want—any combination: breads, pastas, pastries. You can get only breads. You can get only pastas. You can get only pastries. You can get whatever you want. You know, just a couple nights ago, uh, my wife and I—you know—we'd made one of those dinners. That was fine. You know, it's one of those der- dinners serves its purpose. It's like, okay, another dinner in the books, but just not super special. And then. We realized that we had a package of Wild Grain strawberry rhubarb turnovers in the freezer. We popped those in the oven while we were eating dinner. They were finished when we finished dinner. We had this delicious dessert that kind of made the whole dinner seem like it was special. And, you know, that happens a lot with Wild Grain. You know, maybe, you know, we made some soup and the salad and it's just, it's good. It's fine but then you add a hot, fresh-baked, crusty loaf of wild grain sourdough bread to that, and suddenly the kids are excited, everyone's happy, the meal is special. So for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com deadpilots to start your subscription. You heard me, fresh, free, not fresh, but free, croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash dead pilots. That is wildgrain.com slash dead pilots. If you didn't hear me the first two times I said it, or you can use promo code dead pilots at checkout. I'm Emily Fleming And I'm Jordan Morris We're real comedy writers And real friends And real fucking cheapskates We say, why
1: subscribe to expensive streaming services When you can stream tons of insane movies online for free As
0: long as you're fine with 25 randomly inserted super loud car insurance commercials On our new podcast, Free With Ads We
1: review streaming movies from the darkest corner of the internet's bargain bin
0: From the good to the weird to the holy shit, look at Jean-Claude Van Damme's big old butt.
1: Free with ads, a free podcast about free movies that's worth the price of admission.
0: Every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org or your favorite pod spot.
1: Not that you would have a trick, but when you would bring in something like that in your mind, did you know like a couple of beats and it's like, oh, now we just need to come up with like the twist or the the like a turn it like is it just you come in pretty cold knowing that like the conversations will lead you
0: i mean it's you know it depends sometimes it is just that it's just like this is just a spark this is just inciting incident this is just a scene but it's not really a story yet and then there was always that moment where and it probably is like okay well someone wants something we have this thing and then (laughs) someone now wants something (laughs) and now we have a story because they there's a drive and then they can and it's sort of like or we can put an obstacle in the path of them wanting that thing um and you know or you know it's just like um you know, whatever people in the in the friends room always talk talking about the story it's like one of the writers like bought these leather pants and we were all just oh, like m- making so much fun of him because he was not like yeah. a leather pants guy for like wearing these leather pants and then you know you start just thinking about like and it just becomes like okay you know immediately it's like ross should buy leather pants you know yeah there's always a bummer as a writer when something had happened to you is like oh that, that's a good ross story <laughs> you like oh, but um and then it's just like, well, what if they're just so tight you can't get them off? And then it's just like, okay, like what's a situation? Like what's the worst situation for that to happen? And and then you're often like, now you're you're off, yeah, and and running, and but it's that there, you know, you, you, there's that recognition of like, there's something so specific about this, um, yeah, that we can
1: work work with that. Uh, and when you're doing that in the, you know, the arc of you have the relationships and the, and the other things that play are. Are you guys thinking of like, oh, we'll do, I brought in this nugget and there's this that we have not want, and then we can break that out and weave the Ross you, Rachel you, through you would it bre- or you would, start with that Ross Rachel thing?
0: You break, I mean, there's no, there was no particular order to like the story, but you broke each story individually, right? You had these sort of like yeah. columns, A, B, and C, and you had the beats, you know, of like, here's the A story beats, here's the, and then you would often, there were you'd be like, well, we these can't fit together. Because of time, this one needs this amount of time, you know, and this one doesn't, and it always would seem impossible. And you would then, like, that was the sort of math of it. Like, okay, we know we're starting here with this scene because this is a great, you know, cold open or whatever. And we can get a little, and we can also maybe launch the B story here too, so we can combine these beats. And then you're just sort of doing this puzzle of how do we weave this all together and how do you solve the fact that like there's two days in between on this one and there, this has to happen like moments later. And, you know, all of that, um, was again, like no one comes into the room knowing how to do that. Like instinctively, that's the thing, you know, and David Crane was the best at it I've ever seen. And then maybe he was just born with that ability, but like, um, but we all learned from David's ability to go like, oh no, we can go here and then here and then this. will put these two together, and then th- and and you would just like. I remember my first year on the show watching him do it, and that was just. It felt like you were watching a magic trick. You're like, I, how is he, how is he doing this? And then yeah. over time, you start. You there was a day you're we like, oh, I just did it. I did that thing that like <laughs> David could do, but no one. Y- you gotta do it. All- a lot and that's the you know the nice thing about what you got to do is like do a
1: full network season of 22 episodes it's just like you know yeah we, um, we were rare like those first two seasons of man with a plane we're, we're doing full seasons and uh you know I'm grateful just for that experience and then more opportunities to learn like there's like you were saying with like watching david do that there's there's like moments that still happen where when someone cracks something my I like I throw my hands up like Kawhi Leonard just made a shot or something where it's just like, ah, that's fucking it was in you're just kind of like we were all trying, and then someone yeah. just did it in this unexpected, funny way. Yeah. Um, on that 90s show, Greg, uh Greg Mettler is the showrunner, and there's like times where I like whether it's cause we do like fun pops and things like that, where like he'll pitch something that it's just open because I'm like, I didn't even know we could do that. Like, it's this thing where it's like, <laughs> you, like what if we do this it, wild pop or flashback? And you just, I love the idea of just in a multi where, like, if it makes all these people in this room laugh, like, let's give it a it, shot. Yeah. Let's like, put it at the table at least. And that's what's very fun. I'm uh, on that 90s show right now. Where I feel like the showrunner, if it's funny, and even if it's like, we, we have to, like, do this weird fantasy to get like it's get very to, fun to just go like yeah it's it made everybody laugh like we got to try it
0: that's the difference between good shows and uh, i think on a good show when the whole room laughs at something you figure out how to way to put it in the show and on bad shows it's like well that's great now back to work like you know what i mean <laughs> you know it's just like now back to the mediocre shit that yeah, we're gonna like put into great. the show let's ignore the thing that we <laughs> had us all like weeping like there's no way to put that in the show instead yeah. of like no do whatever that's, it takes that's exactly right. I'm gonna, like that's I'm going to think about that all the time let's get uh, back to work yeah um and you're right it's just like the the basketball I'm not even that big a sportsman but you're always that analogy because you just you see like oh my god someone just this person just passed the ball to them who passed it to them who just then like you know hit this yeah. like incredible Three point And some, you know, someone in the room will just be like, well, they've just got the hot hand today. Like they are yeah. just like, whatever it is, not every day, but this person is just like, has it on that day. Um, And like, I'm just, sometimes you feel like I'm just feeding this person who's like, you know, here's right. maybe an area and then they've like got the line. It's just, you know, it's what's incredible about a comedy writer's room when it's not miserable you know when when that's like working well so this so i know you we, we in the little quick interview remind me like what the what the impetus for you know you're only young twice was
1: it's uh where i i basically like the idea can you know, we i pitched it i just looked at the pitch talking was, i think it's like nine or ten years ago now but it's an idea that stuck with me because it's, it's from real life. Like I, I got a text from my mom and it just said, your niece is pregnant. And uh my niece at the time was 18. So uh, I was like, well, mm-hmm. it's, it's time. Cause my sisters had gotten pregnant at 18. My mom, uh my sisters got pregnant at 18. And my mom was basically the attitude of like, at least they waited. Cause she, she had gotten, <laughs> she had gotten pregnant with my sister at 15. So, and that's just kind of like, where I grew up in Illinois, where these, you know, pregnancies at, at that age were not treated in a way that was like, uh, you know, like the, you know, teen pregnancies or it was just kind of like, yeah, they, they get pregnant. That's just what <laughs> happens here. And I, you know, got out without having a kid at that age. And, you know, my wife and I, have our first kid. I was like thirty, and um, then we have our you know second kid, thirty three or whatever. And I remember we went back to visit, and I had an infant with my first kid. She was like two years old, or not even an infant or toddler. She was a baby, baby. And I go back. I'm driving to my parents' house, and I drive by a house, and I see it's. I just noticed it's like my buddies in the yard. And in his driveway is this like beautiful fishing boat and a big like brand new truck and a car for his wife. So I just hook up with him later and he's like, yeah, yeah, um, she's about, you know, she's she's going to go to college in a year or it was a year or so. And uh, I've been working at the factory, which he worked there for so long. He's like now making great money for that area his wife had a career and i'm sitting there with this baby and like just starting it and i'm so <laughs> nervous and anxious and this guy is just like relaxed his kids about to go to college it didn't ruin their life so i was like that's something interesting where he and his wife got married because they had a baby essentially and mm-hmm. now it they get this whole like at 35 years old they get to start life Mm. And they have money, and he has a boat. And I'm like, I'm not not going to have a boat for a long time. You know what I mean? Where you're like, (laughs) boat is not in my future. So I just thought of the show in a way of like two people that got pregnant at 17, and it didn't ruin their life. And they were great parents, and they raised a great child, all with their own flaws and kind of issues that would come from that. And then what would happen if that kid goes off to college and... You you know, in this version of it, the initial version was they just get a second chance on life, and they each have different ideas of what it would be. But in the the one that we did, which was like the second pass at that, was they had just decided this isn't this. We're we're staying together for this kid. So when she goes to college, we'll get divorced and we'll tell um we'll tell her that we're separating and all that stuff. And uh, I just thought in series the show would be about two people who had been married for 18 years and you watch them fall in love for the first time where they, you know, you, the device of them, you know, living together and all that stuff. But like, I thought it would be nice cause they, they got married for a baby, but then you could watch these people who know each other and they would date and have dating stories and have infighting stories and all this other stuff. But like, I think at the core, they, you know, I would like to see these two people together still. Like it, it is just, they kind of get to experience some of the things they missed while not being together, but then they're, they're drawn back.
0: Right. But so also the-
1: goofy and multicam funny. That's right. the thing. When we did it, there were things where I, you know casting I think it's a cold table read you, you know kind of like we were talking about like oh I would adjust that for this person like maybe everyone didn't do it in the way that I had seen but I still left being like I like that idea I still like that pilot I just there's moments that were I thought way overwritten um there was like I didn't even catch it that just used the word whore tw- uh, just and hit, hitting my ears I'm like I don't know where I was nine years ago, but I don't love that. And I didn't even it caught me off guard, and I hated it. But I think that for me, when I saw this, I was like, "Oh, I would cut four pages and uh, add a, a little more with that handyman character because that that's a very fun multicam character." And you know, I didn't leave going like, "Well, I was wrong. That idea sucked." So that was kind of the the big takeaway for me was I still liked it.
0: Yeah, because it's a it is a really good set. I mean, there's this sort of classic screwball comedy of remarriage. You know, they call them these like movies like The Awful Truth, and there's you know um, where it is that it's just like couples splitting up, and then the you know the movie you know split up at the beginning, and it's sort of like finding each finding their way back to each other that's like a very you know revered some of the great like all time classic comedy movies have that comedy remarriage and that's what you're talking about is just like seeing them separate and find their way back to each other in a more genuine way and you know to me i always feel like if i'm on that kind of like solid ground of like okay wait this is like a you know (laughs) some people can be like Worry? Oh, it's cliche. Like, no, 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 no. It's it's classic. It's just like it's a classic structure that you know works. So you're on solid footing. And then, yeah, it's about like how do you do it and the specifics of the characters and, um, yeah. I mean, Kirk Fox was so
1: amazing as that (laughs) handsome character. So funny. He's so funny. Um, he texts me like uh for an hour after we we were just like pitching stuff back and forth and it just eventually landed on he's like you should do a show called the vent where people (laughs) vent to the handyman through the vent and and we were doing a bit and then i was like that's actually not that we i may think about that a little bit (laughs) it's like not the worst thing you've ever heard Where just a, a way of kirk fox somehow being the building's therapist yeah
0: I also love this. It's like an actor. Like, it should be just about my character.
1: <laughs> it took a while to get there. But then it was like, what if I were first on the call right. sheet? <laughs> right.
0: Um, and it would just be nice like, because you have, you know, you have the college, you have the daughter and her college experience as another place to go. You know, I feel like with these shows, you have to be able to, like, bounce yeah. around to
1: different storylines. Um, that That, you know, those characters were all, which you know, it's back to kind of, uh, I think the basic thing is just when they're based on th- like a, a real person that is it's somehow in my life. I've I've done the I've sold pilots where I'm like, I work backwards from, I bet they would buy this. And uh, right. you get in there and you're just like, man, someone's going to notice that this, we're just really kind of grabbing branches on the way down the hill here. <laughs> uh, but this one, like even that kid was based on a real person where, you know, you you get pregnant at this young age, and you essentially go like, our sole focus is this kid, and it's not just people that get pregnant at that age, but those helicopter like, over the top parents. I probably am, and I had a kid at thirty, but the, and then that kid gets kind of like dumped off into the real world they're terrified. And Mm -hmm. you, as a parent, like my oldest daughter is 11 now. And there's like things not dropping off at college, obviously because she's young, but (laughs) there's moments where I'm like, Oh, you're, this kid is not prepared for (laughs) this outside this house where uh, now it's the thing. I've started saying all the time is it'll be like, I don't know. I can't get my shoes on. on We're going to be late. I, I can't put my shoes on in the car. And I'm just like, I believe in you. It's like, just like these simple <laughs> things where I'm just like, I believe in you. I think from the drive to our from our house to the school, you can get your shoes on and get them tied.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah, that's good parenting. I think that's a good thing to say to a kid in that situation. Um what where did that you know it's funny hearing it live, there's like in that scene with the sort of gay misunderstanding. Um, with the, with the artist, you know, there's, there's this thing where, um, you can sort of sense an audience, like kind of calculating when you're in that area at all. It's like, is this okay to laugh at? Like,
1: like, (laughs) I was questioning that, uh, that is from real life. And it's one of those where it's just been in this script. I'm kind of like in the same boat like when it starts, I'm like, I don't is this, are we, but I, my wife and I, when we first started dating, um, we went to a a Thanksgiving with like uh, her friends, which happened to be like the editor of Vanity Fair. And I'm like, you know, from the Midwest and not, I'm not cultured and I don't know manners. (laughs) I I don't know nothing. So I go there and just, somehow find myself in a huge argument with the editor or like one of the editors of GQ magazine. And it's a, it's a woman. And she's like, going, she's very drunk and she's yelling at me. And I, you know, in hindsight, when my wife recounted it to me uh, in an angry way, she was like, you, sh- I'm not saying you messed, I'm not saying you were wrong. You should have stopped. Cause my point of view was like, I'm, I was right. And she's like, that's not what we're talking about. Like you were just going on. And then this woman left Thanksgiving dinner. So after that, we go to a holiday party and I'm in my head, like, I just ruined Thanksgiving. I have to like be on my best behavior. I got to adjust to this Los Angeles lifestyle. And we go and um, it's, it's a executive house who's, it's a lot of gay men at this party. And I'm standing there. She's mingling, and a guy comes up, and he's like, "Hey, uh, nice talking." He goes, "I live next door." I go, "That's great. This is a great area." We're talking, and he goes, "You can't really see it from here, but you can see it from the upstairs bedroom window." And I was like, "I think I, I think I know what's happening right now." And I don't want to offend him, and I don't want to like go to the bedroom with him. So I'm trying to like find the middle ground. And then he keeps talking, and we're we're laughing and having a good time. And I go, "Oh, my girlfriend, she's girlfriend." I go, "My girlfriend's over there, and and she's here." And then we keep talking, and then he leans in, and I'm on leaning on the like the uh, railing of the balcony, and he leans in, and I go, "He's gonna kiss me." And I just thought, I can't say I'm not gay before he kisses me, because what if he goes like why does that matter? Like, why would you say that? So I was like, I think I'm just going to let him kiss me and then be like, I think there's been a (laughs) misunderstanding. So when he was like an inch from my face, she walks up and she goes, Tommy. And then I go, this is my girlfriend. And then he goes, you really do have a girlfriend? And then just walked (laughs) off. And she was like, what, what were you doing? And I was like, I think I was about to kiss that guy. And so that's, I just put that right in the pilot of like a guy that was at a place where he didn't want to make a mistake. And I don't know that I land, I don't, you know, like, I don't know that it landed the way I wanted it to. I think, I think maybe revisiting that, I don't know if it's like just making it something different or rewriting it or, you know, different people. I don't know.
0: I mean, it's such an incredible story like that of course you're going to want to, of course your next thought is, it's like, this is like, I, yeah. I, I'm going to use this. Like, this is incredible material. And, and it's, you know, it's funny, you know, because I was, you know, I was thinking about it because I'm like, okay, I feel, I could sense an audience is sort of like worried. Is this offensive? And it's like, no, I don't think it's offensive. Like, I don't think there's anything yeah really homophobic here. Or, you know, it's, um, but, you know, you just wonder. It's just like you you travel a distance to get to it. Yeah, you know, and because it's it's this very standalone set piece, and I, and it's functioning as like, you know, you, you know, you're you're trying to get them. The next real plot point is like that they sleep together, right? That and right, you know, which is really the ecstasy is the thing that like gets you to that. Yeah. So if anything, it may just be like. Does that misunderstanding, which you were you need to have some work to get to, is it is it story like in the overall arc of this yeah. pilot? Is it a story beat do, like with do their you think arc? he
1: needs to mess up in that arc, like the current arc of like he's messed up already? This is where right. I was just want to uh, go straight at it. So he's messed up already in that With the, light, with the girls. With the, the girls. So he goes there. She's mad. She's like, just don't mess up. And this is where I was kind of like, I felt like there was like a fun twist, something there for her, for her to come over. And it seems like she's going to be even more mad, but she's like, dude, I'm rolling right now. Let's right. go. And, you know, the other version would be, he's somehow in this conversation with this guy and he's the, husband Mm -hmm. trying to do his best and then commits to buying a painting for a million dollars and has to take it back. Like, I think it was the, you know, for me, I was like, does he need to mess up or in, in that kind of way, or can it just be, he's not fitting in here. She comes over and then it's like, let's do it. I guess that's in your having heard it and read it.
0: I mean, the, what is a good moment is when you think she's going to be pissed that he's fucked things yeah. up with this very important person in her professional life. And then she's actually not because she's just so high. Um, that's like, that's a nice thing, you know, because it's nice that you don't have the big, like her yelling at him, which we don't really want, want right. to happen. Um, it's, I, I guess. For me, it, it's sort of like it, the question would be like, is it worth the journey? Like, it's it's a it's a fair amount of work to get there, you know. What yeah. I mean, with, with a sort of day player character um, who you know ends up having a sort of some significant script time, um, even though he's he's not really important to to the show. And I think in pilots sometimes, you know, and I've certainly written, you know, so many similar kinds of things. You go like, well, okay, wait a minute. Like what we really want, we want to spend as much time with our regular characters as possible. And is there some sort of day player who's just taking up our time and keeping our leads apart, you know, for this period of time where someone's interacting with a day player, which might like, be the decisive thing. I was just like, I really just want to see, you know, Alex and Emily, like, and if this thing takes pages of like keeping them sort of apart and especially keeping Emily kind of sidelined and having to be, you know, um, that, w- that would be the thing I would be trying to like, how c- Is
1: this, is this there, worth it? There was something about it where I felt like at on one like story-wise it was, it was too long, but, for this, but it felt like it needed to be longer to feel less like it was that thing you were talking about where it's uncomfortable, where like right. it needed to have us for that to work. In my opinion, it needed more space for, to make the audience feel more comfortable where then you go through and you're editing, you're cutting, you're like, this is a day player. Let's pull that. Then it <laughs> felt like in seeing it, I was like, oh, it's too short now. And it does feel, it feels weird. Like I didn't yeah. like it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think you're right. It has to feel earned and to feel earned, it has to be, it has to breathe. And it made you know, and it's just sort of like, Oh shit, I don't have, I don't have the space to like have a scene breathe between, you know,
1: someone and a day player. Like I got, you know, um, and something that's like that I felt was too long already. It, you know, if you're going through, if you're like, let's read that. i I, I, can, I guess the question is, like, would this be too short if it's just, like, you got to go? And he's like, I didn't know we were doing that type of thing anymore. And then you just have, like, a beat of her there kind of looking for him. And then just a stat, like, he comes in late. Maybe there's, a there's like, a comedy beat. And then she comes up, and he's like, maybe you see him with the handyman that makes him late for some reason. Or, maybe like, I, I just felt like something sm- simpler like that, where he comes in with the energy of, like, I'm so sorry. I fucked up. Like the place is empty when he gets there and he's like, I'm so sorry. I fucked up. And she's like, I'm rolling. And then you're just, cause that's what you, you, that finding a way to make that moment earned, but faster.
0: Yeah. You want a second, you want to fuck up on top of his or his existing fuck up. Yeah. And then, and thinking like, this is now going to be like the huge blow up. And instead it's what leads to them having sex together. And you just happen to have this like great story from real life to do that yeah which takes a long time to do <laughs> you know um do you think you need
1: to see the fuck up or is it enough that he no, shows I mean, up and it's empty or is I, I, is think it that, I think i think yeah up? he's
0: i think him being late yeah is, per, is all you need right he's just I'm like gonna, I, I, I gotta I'm gonna make, make this up, change after the I,
1: call here <laughs> 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 or after little league practice my daughter
0: <laughs> um uh, yeah and i am just like i was like that's the great thing about dead pies is you get to do the read but you don't get any notes afterwards so i don't mean to like be giving you notes i just felt like you know i, as I, I, was, I asked
1: for it <laughs> <laughs> send any we don't get to talk about just email me the rest i want to know this is just, this is free learning i mean it, it's it's just is it's like
0: everything you're saying is like this event it's why you know we do this show it's just like you learn so much just hearing it out loud it's no matter how many times you read it like once you hear actors like reading something it's things just like become clear that yeah you know, they just reveal themselves um and and it's amazing sometimes it's just like I read it so many times I thought about it so hard I just and then there was just something so glaringly obvious like oh shit I forgot to give any jokes to this character you know stuff like that right. but like in all the reads you don't notice until there's a human being who's like reading a part and you're watching them go like, oh, shit, they, I didn't give them anything to, you know, to play. And that's such a huge mistake that I just didn't even notice. It happens all the time.
1: Yeah. Sometimes at a run through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You just have to see them walking to the next scene and be like, oh, I'm sorry, we're we didn't <laughs> mean to <laughs> yeah. it was late.
0: I know. Sorry, every line you have is a question <laughs> that's setting up someone else's joke. And like I just I you know, it's it whatever. It's like a, you got a bunch of characters and yeah. Um, so you're okay, so you're on that 90 show currently, and uh where are you guys in like the we just schedule? finished the
1: first half. Um so we, we, we did a 16 order and then just finished eight and we got a two week hiatus to catch up a bit and shoot the final eight, three, two, three. And I, they, I, it was the Netflix thing where they air, it, it will drop in blocks of eight. Okay. And they call them parts now, which is, <laughs> I don't understand, but yeah. Like it's the crown or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Well, cool. I'm glad we, you know, we, we got to, uh, fit this in into your, you know, crazy schedule.
1: Sorry Um, about the schedule. That was crazy. I I appreciate (laughs) you being patient and not hating me. I mean, I don't even know if you don't hate me. Maybe you hate (laughs) me, we just had a great chat, but um, not at
0: all. Not at all. And I really like, you know, I said, I don't know if you listened to the, to the intro to the episode, but I just do really, I think people don't get like, these are really hard to write, like a network work multicam is really hard to write and to make funny. Like it's just um, it's pe- people tend to in this town, at least like they kind of, you know, they look down on her it sometimes It's just like, just try it, try and make one of these like actually yeah. laugh out loud funny. And just like it, you know, and this one really was like, you know, it's um, it's just like great characters and, you know, you've found a way to like, it's got, it's got some edge, you know, which is just it's like cool. hard to do.
1: I have uh I have another dead one if you, if you ever do a second lap I'll hit you. I don't know what the timeline is I up in a year or so but uh there's it, it was such a fun thing to do like having it come to life in that way and and you know like I said like having it be a thing that I like and then watching it and just going here's how I think I could make it better based on this experience and and that's you know I, I'm in the now the mindset of you know you take something out you work multiple people want to buy it or one person wants to one network wants to buy it. And then, and then at some point, like one person or whatever <laughs> says no. And then your agents and managers are like, that's dead. This <laughs> yeah. dead producers are like, it's dead. And I'm like, that executive was fired for like sexual harassment. <laughs> He's not even in the business anymore. Can we maybe show it to other people? So I, I don't know. think anything's dead anymore. I'm going to, I'm taking that mentality of like, if I if I like something I'm going to try to get a second life out of it
0: yeah yeah it's that's the attitude it shouldn't like one person's like somewhat random opinion should not be the like final word on something you know
1: yeah this this guy who's a business manager now said uh he didn't think (laughs) it fit with their schedule at the time
0: yeah and so and then you're like oh so what were the great choices he made oh yeah they were all canceled instantly it's just like (laughs) like why do we think that that's a valid opinion it's just yeah yeah all right well i hope uh yeah bring it back, bring it back from the dead. Um, well, cool. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. right. See you soon. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that. We will be back next month with another great dead pilot. Uh, and you may have seen, it's going to be max fun drive. So, we got, uh, we're going to have some exciting stuff. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Finling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. Uh, did you like this interview? Did you get something out of this interview? Well, how about telling a friend about this podcast? Tell one person, it really helps. Uh, leave us a review. Follow us on social media. Just, you know, love us. Basically, it's what we're asking is for you to love us, uh, and to love yourselves. Um, That's all. I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening. Uh, And I'll catch you next time. Max Fun Drive, coming up. Maximum Fun.
1: A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported. Directly. By you.